Hello and welcome to the Wicked Things Podcast. We present to you Stadler House Book 2 Emily. How would you move on if you suffered the terrible loss of your family at a friend's hand? That is what Emily Stevens has been trying to do for almost two decades, but her past seems hell-bent on haunting her till her dying days. She has continued to suffer and now finds herself locked away in a mental health facility. Dr. Stadler, hypnotized and forced her to forget parts of her past, before his incarceration. Dr. Waters, under court orders continues to try and determine if Emily is sane enough to stand trial for murder. Rodney, has moved on as one of the two survivors of the Stadler House Massacre. But it seems fate has put him and Emily in a direct path towards one another. Who knows how this will all end or if it will end. Otherworldly forces are clearly at work in this small town of Port St. John, Florida. Emily sits in the courtroom, across from the witness box. Brenda Day and Dr. Stephen Smith give testimony corroborating the involvement of his staff in the events that took place at the house of James Hill. Brenda Day, the 40-plus-year-old Hispanic senior hospice nurse, squirms in the witness box, wearing her purple dress and dress coat. She fidgets with a piece of tissue paper, dabbing the corners of her eyes. Malcolm McConnell, the well-dressed young lawyer, paces before both witnesses, asking poignant questions to Brenda all to create a story that fits his need to convict Emily, but not to incriminate the witnesses. Dr. Stephen Smith, well-dressed as always in the most current suit-and-tie combo, they trained him to deliver testimony on the witness stand. He tells the near-same story as Brenda, each confirming his limited involvement in the events associated with James Hill. Tammy Knowles, a highly paid secretary of Dr. Smith dresses trendy for someone ten years her junior. Her attractive curves hold every man's attention and imagination in the court when she's called to give her account of events leading up to the tragedy. Stephen waits for the attorney to ask him each question. He elaborates on Brenda's story when prompted by the young state's attorney. Stephen Ever the professional speaks slow and concise into the microphone. Emily could tell he rehearsed his testimony, and that the home office decided she was blamed for the tragedy. Mrs. Day, can you expand upon what you called the last straw in your police statement? Brenda fidgets with the witness box microphone. Beads of sweat form across her wide, high-arched brow. She nods clears her throat, and leans into the microphone. I was sitting at the kitchen table, finishing my care report for Mr. Hill. Up to that point, it had been a, a thankfully uneventful day. I had poured a fresh cup of coffee to help me stay awake for the coming night shift. I had already been there beyond my scheduled 36-hour shift with him. The rugged ranch-style home stands amidst the torrential downpour and gale winds of the approaching hurricane. These first feeder bands contained high winds and dangerous lighting. The earthy smell of the decaying leaves, cypress trees, and old wood fills the air outside of the home. The pouring rain pauses temporarily between the bands of heavy winds and driving rains, this allows an interruption in the quiet and stillness with the voice of James Hill shrieking loud against the night. Stop it! Get away from me! Please! Leave me alone! 
medical devices glow, hum, flash, flicker, and beep throughout the master bedroom of James Hill's home. The center of the room finds itself occupied by an adjustable hospital bed, complete with an occupant. The elderly man has IV lines and wires running from him to the medical instruments. Heavy dark drapes hanging against the windows of the room help muffle both noise and light from entering or leaving the room. James Hill lays flat on his back atop the hospital bed, with his arms trembling defensively in front of himself. James yells into the air, No! It's not my time! Brenda leaps up from the kitchen table after hearing the elderly man's cries for help. Her paperwork scatters in her wake. Brenda rushes down the hallway to the master bedroom. She slams against the bedroom door, but it does not move. Brenda bangs against the door to open it. Mr. James, Brenda calls out. The door won't open. What's going on in there? She slams her shoulder against the door, forcing it to open enough to peek inside. Brenda covers her mouth to conceal the shock of what she sees beyond the master bedroom door. The bedroom door pushes back against Brenda. She loses her footing and gets sent tumbling backwards across the hallway against the locked child's bedroom door. She collides with the bathroom door, creating a resounding thump. Brenda looks up to the door opposite her, rubbing her head and neck. The heck was that? Brenda dusts off her clothing as she gets back up. She lowers her head and brow, locking her eyes on the door. Wild determination flashes across her eyes as she launches herself at the master bedroom door. The door gives way, revealing the desperate struggle her patient was facing. James Hill's eyes bulge and grow glassy. He looks helpless as the color drains from his face. He gasps for breath against the unseen force that drives him down into his hospital bed. James summons strength to plead once more. Someone help me, please. The master bedroom door tries to close shut on her, but the hospice nurse forces it to stay open. The top corner hinge of the dirty brown wooden bedroom door falls free from its attachment to its frame. Brenda loses her balance and staggers past the door. Brenda watches for a long moment and witnesses something unseen hit, scratch, and bite James Hill. She falls to her knees in prayer, seeing James lifted almost three feet above the bed by his neck. Brenda clutches her gold chain and the crucifix in her left hand. She holds her arm out to present the cross to whatever is in the room. Get away from him! I command you to leave us be in Jesus' name! Brenda struggles to keep her arm extended against an unseen force pressing against her. She pushes back and feels a sensation of piercing, some kind of veil between James and herself. At that moment, the old man's body gets thrown to the ground next to his hospital bed. Brenda makes her way to James's side. He continues his struggle against the unseen adversary. She grabs his arms but finds wrestling the elderly man's arm difficult. She lays herself across his chest, 
pressing his arms down under her weight. The medical machines in the room spark and turn themselves off and on. The sounds of the devices creates a chaotic cacophony of digital noise. Brenda lowers her head into the elderly man's chest and weeps. I can't take this any more. Brenda notices James's eyes are closed, and he continues to take slow, rhythmic breaths. Confusion claims her expression as she realizes that the old man has been fast asleep, locked in what must be a horrifying nightmare. The master bedroom gets engulfed by an otherworldly and absolute silence, accompanied by the power surging and failing. A long moment passes while Brenda stares into the face of the sleeping elderly man. The medical device's lights start glowing again. James, she asks. Brenda trembles, looking around the room, trying to get a hand on the current moment. She returns her focus to the old man, laying on the ground next to her. James's eyes snap open, and he glares at Brenda. She recoils from his angry scowl. I heard you call and came to help. James sits up, pushing her away from himself. Put me back in my bed and get the hell out of here. He pulls himself up to the side of his bed, muttering, Useless woman. Brenda wraps her arms around his waist, turning him and placing him on his bed beneath his blankets. She ensures every life-continuing device remains attached to the old man. Her voice trembles with fear, but she regains her composure and reassures him, I was trying to help you. What happened? We should leave. This place is bad. James snarls at Brenda with saliva frothing and falling out of his open mouth. He sneers at her with malice in his eyes. He seizes his bedpan and raises it high above his head. The motion sends the contents of the bedpan to the air, coating small spots on the bed and his pajama top. Don't you ever come in here, you hear me, bitch? The odors from the contents of the bedpan fill the room with the stench of digested and undigested waste. Sulfurous odors, accompanied by the distinct smell of old urine's nostril burning ammonia all mixed up with the metallic pungency of the trace amount of blood raced to every corner of the space. The feces discolor and stain everything it comes into contact with, a spectrum of colors from green to brown to black. Brenda raises her arms defensively and backs up to the open bedroom door. She steps through the threshold of the master bedroom doorway and grabs the door handle. You crazy son of a bitch, I can't believe I ever felt sorry for you. I'm done. James throws the bedpan at Brenda. She closes the bedroom door. She feels the bedpan strike the door and hears the clang. Her confusion, fear, and loathing of the situation take over. She slides down the wall, crying until she's holding her knees, sitting on the hallway floor. I'm done with this garbage.
the dawn of a new day pierces the cloud cover, allowing a slice of golden light to enter the inside of the house through the kitchen sink window. The warm glow draws a line down the hall, embracing Brenda. This warm light gives her the strength to return to her feet and storm down the hallway to the kitchen. Brenda sits down at the kitchen table and rubs her neck, staring at the wall phone and huffs. She snatches the telephone from the wall holder and dials her employer's office number. Someone better be there. Expression drains from Brenda's face, hearing the familiar answering machine respond to her call. She shakes her head, disappointed with the results of reaching out for help from those who should be the first to offer help if she finds herself in need. As the last of her hope slips from her face, the machine gets turned off, and a voice comes through. Brenda begs her boss, I don't want to be here anymore. Two-thirds of the highway side-strip plaza are dedicated to the hospice of Brevard County Central Office. Inside the cluttered office space, Stephen Smith, the current chief operations officer. He runs his fingers through his hair as he looks at his reflection in a small mirror at the secretary's desk. He pulls his tie straight. Hospice of Brevard, this is Stephen. Now can I help you? Stephen sits down at the secretary's desk chair. He takes an ink pen in hand from the desktop. Brenda, is that you? What's going on? Brenda wipes at the salty tears crossing her lips. Please, send someone else. Stephen rocks back in the chair and twirls the pen around his thumb. Whoa, 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 calm down and tell me what's going on. Brenda looks over her shoulder down the narrow hallway towards the master bedroom door. Something is not right here. I'm telling you that there's something in this house. Stephen scoffs at her remark. He leans onto the desk, inspecting his teeth in the mirror. What are you talking about? Brenda scans the kitchen. She walks to the kitchen window, sighs, and looks out. When Mr. James sleeps, bad things happen here. Stephen shakes his head. No. He opens his secretary's file on James Hill. He flips through three to four pages. His chart explains that he's a sleepwalker and to expect issues from that. Brenda slams her fist on the kitchen table, sending the remaining pages into the air and down to the floor. I don't feel safe here anymore. Send someone to replace me or I will quit and walk out. Then what happens to your contract? Stephen's attention leaves the conversation as his pen slips away and skids across the room on the floor. Rhonda, you're being unreasonable. I get it. You're spooked after reading his file. He was a bad man. I get it. Brenda frowns, and her brow furrows deep hearing his condescending response. No, I'm not talking about the sleepwalking. I'm telling you, this house is haunted. Stephen leans side to side, searching for his pen, with disappointment on his face. He sighs, shrugs, and turns his attention back to the phone call. What do you think? The people he killed are haunting the house? 
You have worked there over a month now. He leans onto his desk, holding his head up, but keeping the phone firm to his ear. Stephen steps away from the desk as the rest of the agency's staffers arrive for their shift. He motions for Tammy, his secretary, to transfer the call to his office. She motions for him to go into his office and waits for him to pick up the phone. Stephen picks up the receiver and motions for Tammy to connect the call. He hears the click and places the phone against his ear. And another thing, Stephen, I've been telling you this house has been creepy as hell since I got here. Brenda's voice booms from the phone receiver. Stephen jerks the phone away from his head. He lays the phone on top of the desk and grabs his ear. Brenda paces next to the kitchen window, with anger in her expression. No, I'm telling you, he has end-stage COPD, congestive heart failure, and dementia. Now call in another hospice nurse and let them deal with him. Stephen shakes his head in disbelief. I think you're being unreasonable, but fine, you owe me one. He recoils from the sound of Brenda slamming the phone down. He opens his office door and pokes his head out. Tammy, get the main office on the phone for me and transfer it to my office. I need to let them know we're doing a transfer of care to them on the James Hill case. Stephen closes his office door, rubbing his neck. Emily takes her place in the witness box after being asked by both the state's attorney and her state-appointed legal defense. Unlike all the witnesses before, they dressed her in her orange Department of Corrections clothes, complete with metal chain restraints. She leans into the microphone and begins her side of the story. A small red Nissan sedan struggles to reach the last lot at the end of the dirt road running between the mobile homes inside the LaGrange trailer park. Lucky for the driver, the car dies in front of her two-toned seafood green-and-white mobile home. Steam burst out from under the hood of the small sedan. Emily, in her dirty scrubs from the earlier night's work, steps out of her car. She stares at the steam leaving her parked car. She shuffles up a small wooden deck to the front door. Emily pauses, seeing a familiar bright pink notice taped to her door. She pulls the notice from the door and opens it. The combination of exhaustion and the contents of the notice cause Emily to tear up. Her bottom lip quivers as she reads the page once more. Service is disconnected until you make payment in full. Emily walks into her mobile home, grabs a six-pack of cores, and sits on the edge of her deck. She lets her legs dangle off the edge and opens a beer. The warm beer burns her throat as it makes its way to her stomach. A smile fills her face, hearing Dina, her next-door neighbor, screaming, You son of a bitch! These are not even my size! You jerk! Something glass shatters, followed by a man's voice mumbling incoherently. The neighbor's door burst open. Calvin... Dina's current boyfriend tumbles out of the door. He stumbles and falls down the frail metal stairs attached to their home. Dina steps out, holding a cheap porcelain plate in one hand 
and a pair of black lace panties in the other. You ever show up here again and I'll kill you? Her next throw was wide and broke the plate against Emily's car. Calvin covers the length of two mobile homes as he scrambles to get out of range. He turns to slip on his tank top, undershirt, and flip off Dina, screaming, You crazy bitch, I never loved you. You're like your crazy mother. Dina runs next to Emily's car, picking up a large piece of the plate that broke. She points at him, waving the broken edge of the plate at him. Come back, and I'll cut off your little dick and send it to that girlfriend of yours. Dina turns away from her cheating boyfriend, spotting Emily snickering in the dark. Dina folds her arms and scoffs. Can I pick him or what? Dina sits down on the hood of Emily's broken-down car and laughs at her own misfortune. Emily looks down to her beers and offers Dina a warm beer. I think you need one almost as bad as I do. Dina pops the tab and gulps it down. She wrinkles her nose and looks at the can. It turn off your power again. Emily shrugs and gestures at her home. It's okay. I bought some Yankee candle a while back that I have been wanting to light anyway. The woman's budding conversation gets interrupted by the sound of Emily's house phone ringing. Emily seems shocked by the noise. I was sure they cut my phone off. Dina shrugs and points to Emily's mobile home. You'd better go get it. You never know. It could be your silver lining to all this mess. Emily walks into her home, picking up the telephone receiver. She takes a last draw from her beer and sits it down on her coffee table. She slightly burps her response to the caller. Hello. Tammy sits at her desk across town. A smile crosses her face once the phone gets answered. Emily, thank God I caught you. It's Tammy. Emily tosses her blue wool blanket off the back of her recliner onto the sofa. She flops onto the chair and releases the leg rest. Yeah, Stephen's secretary. Is everything okay? Tammy exhales and flips open Emily's employee file. Look, I know you could use some extra hours. We don't do this, but we got a last-minute transfer of care order. It would be more hours and a higher wage, but you would be a solo care provider for an end-stage patient. Do you think you could handle it? Hell yeah, I could use the hours. What do you have for me? Emily thanks her for the answer to her financial woes. All right, to me it looks like late-stage COPD, congestive heart failure, and dementia. I don't understand why they pass it on unless... Emily interrupts, curious about the details. What's wrong? What did you find? Uh, nothing. Looks like the live-in nurse wants immediate replacement. We need you to leave right away. You know I finished a twelve-hour shift and haven't even showered off yet. Emily shakes her head, her state of exhaustion almost coming across as her pleading for everything to wait until tomorrow. Sorry, if you want the hours, you need to tell me now. I can find someone else. Let me get my overnight bag ready. You can tell them I am on my way. Emily glances across the street, seeing two children at play under the streetlights. Lee, the dark-haired older boy, 
slips a white sheet over his head and chases Jeremy, the other, around the dirt parking lot next to the trailer park public-use laundromat. I will get you, Jeremy. I don't believe in ghosts. You can't hurt me, Lee. Emily smiles at the boys, but her attention returns to the call she had been ignoring for the past moments as she watched the boys play. Okay, Tammy, call them and tell them I am on my way. I'll leave right now. Okay, I will call them and let the nurse know. She will fill you in on the full details and pass on the charts to you. I'll send the address to your pager, okay? Sounds great. Thanks for the help. Emily hangs up the phone. She packs three clean sets of scrubs. She slams the door behind herself and practically runs to her car. Emily throws up the car hood and fills the radiator from the hose attached to her mobile home. Emily throws her overnight bags into the back seat of the small sedan. She hops into the front seat and starts the car. The child in the ghost costume wrestles the other child to the ground. I told you I don't believe in ghosts. You can't hurt me. I told you it doesn't matter if you don't believe. I can still get you. I'm telling Mom, go ahead. She can't help you. I'm a ghost. Emily drives out of the dirt parking lot of the trailer park. Lee and Jeremy stop wrestling long enough to wave and smile as she drives past. Lee turns to Jeremy and pounces on him. I really like this Stadler House series. If you like it to don't forget to throw us a like or subscribe. But for now this is the Wicked Things Podcast signing off. Until next time. Goodbye.